I saw many people in anguish because they think they should be strong and what they feel is sadness. And the first thing to manage our mental health is that if I'm feeling this, why? To understand. We need to understand. That's Dr. David Rudia Garcia, a psychologist at Pulmonology Service of the University Hospital of La Princesa in Madrid, Spain. He's speaking about the importance of recognizing the profound impact pulmonary fibrosis can have on a person's mental health. Welcome to Journeys Through Pulmonary Fibrosis, a podcast by Boeringa Ingelheim. I'm Louis, and I'll be joined by some extraordinary people living with this rare disease, as well as by some of those who care for them, to explore its impact on mental health. Pulmonary fibrosis is a rare lung condition leading to a progressive decline in lung function. Both receiving a diagnosis and living with the condition can be mentally challenging. Keep listening to learn more about the impact that pulmonary fibrosis can have on mental health, both for patients and for those around them. Let's begin by hearing from Linda from Australia, who is living with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. If I was to use a single word to describe this disease, it would be catastrophic. When the first specialist told me what I had, I sat in the car crying with my husband and I actually said, so many cancers can be cured. This one can't be. So what's, what's my future going to be? Where am I going to be? So I was actually quite devastated. And the more I researched into it, for quite a while, the worse I got. Everything I had read online while I was looking for the information um, told me that my lifespan was three to five years. And as I'd already had the disease for probably at least two years, I certainly wasn't expecting to live that much longer. I made the decision that I wasn't going to go back to work. And as it was looking that my life would be quite a bit shorter, I decided to spend as much of the time as I could with my husband and my family. Najana lives in the Netherlands and was diagnosed with scleroderma-associated interstitial lung disease at a young age. Here's how she describes the experience. I couldn't believe it because you're 22 and you think you're on top of the world and then you hear that you have a life-threatening disease and uh, it's devastating. So I think devastating, yeah, it's the first word I come up with and also anxiety, afraid uh, going to die at a young age. Ron, from the UK, has lived with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis for several years and is all too familiar with its impact on mental health. Mental health has been a big concern for me over the last couple of years, not being able to do the things that I want to do. I went on holiday with, some, with, with families and I said to them, treat me normal, let's go for a drink of an evening time, let's do this. Don't think that I'm ill. I want to act normal for a change. Well, after two days, I can't be normal because the fatigue and the tiredness and the tension it put on me as a person, not being able to go out for a drink. Let's not forget about how pulmonary fibrosis can challenge carers. Maxine is married to Ron. And here is her perspective. Taking care of myself gets harder as the disease progresses without a doubt um you become 
more of a carer. You become more watching for signs. Are they okay? And you very much come second best, which is not a problem. Don't get me wrong. I think we'd all do that. But do I think about myself? No, not an awful lot. Not really. I can't go off and have a spa day. I can't go off to the shops on my own. I am very limited in this situation. The impact of pulmonary fibrosis can extend even beyond patients and caregivers. It can also affect healthcare providers who are on the front lines of pulmonary fibrosis care. Dr. Rudia Garcia shares his thoughts. Depending on how I understand the diagnosis, my emotions begin to appear, which can be sadness, anxiety, anger. With all of this, I will implement my personal coping strategy. How will support somatic concern, fighting speeding, catharsis, despair? Dr. Leticia Coano Dorado is a pulmonologist at the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. She describes how she has found the process of treating patients living with pulmonary fibrosis over her years as a doctor. To be honest, I have suffered a lot, overwhelmed by the suffering of patients and by their social context, which sometimes was even worse than the suffering imposed by their diseases. Dr. Vanessa Smith, a rheumatologist from Ghent University in Belgium, also acknowledges the shared pain. It is really heartbreaking to see lives torn apart by disruptive chronic diseases such as systemic cirrhosis-related ILD or lung fibrosis. Given the tremendous emotional impact of the disease, how do doctors approach the difficult task of communicating with their patients? Let's hear from Dr. Elizabeth Volkman, a rheumatologist and director of the University of California, Los Angeles Scleroderma Program, and the founder and co-director of the Connective Tissue Disease-Related Interstitial Lung Disease Program at the university. When a patient, you know, receives one of these diagnoses, it can be devastating, it's life-altering, and the reactions that they have can vary, you know, from expressing a lot of grief, regret, fear is a big one, anger, frustration, um, and sometimes patients will have these at different points. And so what I try to do is provide a safe space for them to share their feelings and create an open dialogue where they feel comfortable telling me what's bothering them. Dr. Kawano Dorado emphasizes the importance of tolerance for ourselves and of others in such challenging circumstances. Coming closer to discussion, end of life discussions or to death itself is one of the most challenging tasks most of us will have to come to terms with. Therefore, it is a messy process, and it is important to know that this is okay, this is part of the process. We can forgive ourselves, forgive others, and remember that perfectionism is not needed here. Given these challenges, what advice are people living with pulmonary fibrosis able to offer to others to help improve their mental health? For Harry, a patient from the Netherlands who is living with familial pulmonary fibrosis, moments of escape and physical activity matter. By reading, you just enter into a different world. That helps enormously. The same goes for music. I'm a big fan of opera, uh, but sitting in a hall with a few hundreds of others is still for me a little bit difficult. I like walking. I like biking. 
Uh, I'm living not that far from the beach, and it's lovely to go by bike alongside the beach. I like working in the garden, and if it is too cold to work in the garden, I just go up in the house, I just walk around and, and uh, make that I get my uh, exercise, my daily exercise. I do have a mind that I have to move, that's, that's for sure. Dale, from the United States, who lives with myositis and interstitial lung disease, consciously focuses on doing things that make her happy. Whatever makes me happy that day makes my body feel good. Sometimes it's just going someplace. I'll get in the car and drive. Being outside in the sunlight. All those things can be mind-changing. They can be attitude-changing. And being out physically, you know, because you could get in a chair and sit in a chair all day, or you can lay in a bed all day, and it's not going to do anything for you. But to actually get out and, and, and be with people, for me, that's a big thing. Najana also pays attention to happiness and leverages many tools to help her cope. I have a mindfulness app. It's for my healthcare specialist here in the Netherlands. So I think that some breathe exercises will help me very good. But I also love to go into nature for a walk or just sit somewhere and watch the sunset. But also I love to sing from a young age. And I started singing classes when I was in the beginning of my systemic sclerosis and it helped me really with my lung involvement, it improved. Ron recognises the importance of exercise and new hobbies. To maintain your mental health, do what makes you happy. I love exercising. When I'm exercising, I always exercise within my limits. That makes me happy. I've started doing different hobbies like colouring. For carers, Finding time and the space for self-care is critical. Maxine shares how she copes and words of advice for others. I might read. I might stay up when Ron goes to bed just to have an hour to myself, to unwind, to just have space. Um, I might stay in bed some mornings again just to have a read or lose myself in some sort of rubbish on my phone or whatever, just to distract myself from what the day holds. In addition to finding coping mechanisms, many patients can benefit from support groups. Let's hear again from Ron. Patient organisations, patient support groups have been an absolute godsend to me. You meet fellow-minded people, people who are on oxygen, you can talk to these people because at the end of the day, they are traveling the same journey as you and they understand what you are going through. And a lot of these patients in a strange way have become my new friends. And some of these friends will be friends for life because we are so close. Linda also appreciates meeting up with like-minded people who are living with pulmonary fibrosis. There are four of us, and we range in age from 61 to 72. All ladies, all diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Two of them are actually medical people.
people. One is an occupational therapist and one is a nurse. So they know very much what goes on with this disease and the progress of it. And both of those ladies are on oxygen. So we have two on oxygen and two not. So we get together once a month and share a morning tea. So being able to, to be with them and talk to them has been fantastic because they understand exactly what we're going through. Support groups are not just for patients. They can be helpful for carers too. Hear how Maxine finds strength through her group. I belong to a carers group um, with one of the patient organisations and I have found it very helpful because it's a group where you are talking in a safe space so anything that's discussed does not get discussed outside you know the room of what we're talking or the screen of what we're talking. I support them, they support me so it's a mutual understanding and it's been invaluable to me it really has been invaluable not only to feel that I'm helping others but to know they understand exactly how they feel and they're going oh thank goodness it's not just me it's not just my wife or husband that's going through that it is part of the disease and the illness that they're going through. Dr Volkman provides advice for finding the right support group and making the most out of the experience. I try to tell my patients that it's important to go to a group where you feel safe, where you feel comfortable sharing, um, where you feel supported. And when you leave that meeting, you feel a little bit better than when you came in. Um, sometimes patients can go to support groups and, and maybe they're not ready to hear about other people's experiences or to see someone who's on oxygen. And for those patients, I just say, it's okay. You know, this is not the right time for you. So as long as patients are aware of how these things affect them and make them feel, then it's good to explore support groups as a way to help, um, you know, care and support patients on this journey. For patients and everyone impacted by the disease, communication is key. Maxine shares her perspective. If you're going through the dark times right now, the one thing I would tell anybody to do is reach out and speak to somebody. Speak to somebody who's going through it. Speak to somebody who understands. Don't be scared to reach out and find help. Don't be scared to talk about how you're feeling. There's a lot of people that are struggling and you're not alone. And it's so important not to feel alone. Ron also encourages others to speak up. Talk to a partner or if you can't talk to your partner, maybe maybe talk to your best friend. Explain to your best friend how you feel. Najana is able to draw strength from being open about her disease and from the people around her. I think it's, it's the key for me always uh, that I'm open uh, in what my disease is and the reflection about it and um, to discuss it. And it isn't always easy, of course, but that's life. And um, some friends, yeah, I think, okay, they can't deal with it. Well, then you're not my friend. And maybe it's hard. It is hard. And of course, it's also sad. But I know now who, my, who support me unconditionally. And that's important. So... What else can people impacted by pulmonary fibrosis do 
to better navigate their journeys. Maxine shares her advice. Definitely learn as much as you can about the disease. Find out how the disease moves along. Find out what is best for the patient, how you can help the cough, how you can help with any dietary needs, how you can help their mental health, because quite often at early diagnosis, that depression seeps in very quickly. Ron encourages people to get ahead of their emotions. You need to ask for help early. Don't let it spiral out of control. I've said it many a times, and I'll I'll keep on saying it, is my wife plays possibly the most important role in my disease journey because if I don't talk to her and I let things go, then they spiral out of control. So my message to people is talk to your partner, talk to your loved ones. If you need help, go and seek it because at the end of the day, if you don't, depression can set in very quickly. We've been privileged to hear from people who are directly affected by pulmonary fibrosis, from a carer and those who surround them. We've learned that receiving a diagnosis can be an extremely difficult time for patients and for those who are close to them, but also a challenging time for physicians. We've heard the ongoing impact beyond diagnosis, and we've listened to advice about how to cope. Let's end the episode with some final thoughts and words of hope from our podcast panel. Dr. Rudia Garcia, Dale, Najana, Linda, Maxine and Harry share some final perspective. I think it's super important to have hope in our lives because if we don't have hope, we will lose the meaning of life. There's no use dwelling on something that you can't change. And I can't change what's going to happen down the line. I can only live today for today. And that's sort of been my philosophy. When you get ill, you think, okay, what can I contribute or what is meaning of life? I don't know. But something changed in there. And from that on, um, I thought, okay, I want to do something for the world. I think being involved with other things and being a giving person uh, makes me a happier person. So after this uh, interview, what I'm going to do is I'm going to my garden and just cut some roses and then do some things there. Just move. And it helps enormously, you know. It's, it's just fine. Working with your hands. It's looking forward. And although you deal in the here and now, it's aiming at things that we can do in the short distance, but still giving those aims, giving that positiveness and just trying to believe that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Journeys Through Pulmonary Fibrosis podcast. Our next episode will focus on the important topic of diet and nutrition. If you enjoyed this episode, then subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Please feel free to listen or download any of our previous episodes from your usual podcast provider as well. If you have any comments or questions, please reach out to hello at berringer-ingelheim.com.